This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Welcome to the On Labs podcast. Our special guest today is Brian Terry. Brian, dude, thank you so much for hanging thank out with you, us man. today. Thank you. I've been, I've been super excited about seeing you. Actually, just meeting you in person is like, you're like a superhero to me. You're like a go superhero. And it's, it's ah. <laughs> well, when I tell you now that you're, you, you know, you're, you're a Georgia dog, right? I saw UGA all the way. I'm a Notre Dame fan, you know, uh-huh. so... So during the season, you know, I, I, I love you while you're not affecting us, but somehow you affect us every year. You have such an amazing college football program down there. It's, I'm jealous. Oh yeah, super exciting. I actually live a couple miles from the campus. I refuse to take a job outside Athens. So I'm amazed I get to work at AWS and still stay in Athens. I'm like shocked every year. So. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's, you know, I, I do a pilgrimage to Notre Dame just about every year. I got to watch like, but to have that in my backyard would be, would be magical. So that's man, cool. that's very cool. Okay. Enough about Atlanta for now. Even I love that city. I love going there. It's a two hour plane ride. And I tell my wife all the time, we could just hop on a plane, go have a beautiful meal, have a couple of drinks. We get back home, like no big deal. And we never do it. It's just very silly. Anyway, this podcast isn't about that. This podcast is about you, Brian, and we want to hear all about you and your story. But before we, we jump in the time machine, give everybody like the two minute drill on what you're doing today. Okay, sure. Um, um, I'm actually a senior developer advocate on the AWS cloud formation team. So I've been with AWS for possibly about four years now. I had several roles as kind of a solution architect. And then I progressed lately into the CloudFormation team. So I actually work on the CloudFormation team um, as a developer advocate. I get to talk on stage. I get to write Go. I get to, you know, build the next greatest thing in infrastructure as code. I'm just, you know, I'm just truly just blessed to have the career that I have right now. And it's quite an amazing journey how I kind of got here. It wasn't your typical way. So. <laughs> Those are my those are my favorite stories. But before before we jump, Eric's going. Oh yeah, this is gonna be good. Um, talk to me what cloud formation is. I'm not because I'm not. You know, I'm a software developer. I teach people how to write production software, but I don't really want to do the the production systems anymore. I'm just like burnt out there. So give me a Kubernetes environment, and I'm like golden. So maybe. You can just talk a tiny bit about what that cloud formation is, because I heard you talk a little bit about infrastructure as code and stuff. So just just a couple more minutes. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly what it is. This infrastructure as code. So you know, um, back in the old days, you used to have to spin up servers. You used to have to set up networking. You used to have to do some low level things in order to run like a production grade website. You know, some people host their monitor garage and stuff like that, but. Um, as things have evolved with the cloud, we've uh, moved into this area of infrastructure as code, which is very interesting. I myself was, you know, I feel like I'm a was a, you know, software engineer at heart, right? And but I knew a lot about infrastructure, so it kind of combined both worlds for me when infrastructure start, code started to take off. 
So basically, you write your infrastructure as code is what it is. So basically, to spin up a server or to create a load balancer or a database, you basically write your infrastructure in a number of different languages. Even you can write it in, actually in Go. Well, with CloudFormation, you can write it in JSON or YAML. And basically, you design infrastructure in these documents. You submit it to CloudFormation. And all of a sudden, this infrastructure is created. So basically, as a developer, you can take those developer um, developer ways and tools to build infrastructure so you don't have to think about it, right? You can just write code and you spin up your servers that you need and shut them down. So as a, as a, a general idea, the first thing that pops in my head is I could write a service that is monitoring some sort of telemetry or statistics and throw more compute at it or bring it back down, things like that. Or is it more yeah. about, yeah? Yeah, absolutely with that. I mean, infrastructure's code goes a little, it goes into like everything, right? So as you said, spinning up a Kubernetes cluster, right? So as with CloudFormation, you can actually do that. You can actually spin up the the systems that Kubernetes runs on. You can actually deploy to Kubernetes with CloudFormation. And when you start combining infrastructure as code with everything, you can do a lot more things. Like think about you could create your code, the infrastructure as code to deploy a GitHub repository. You could build your CI/CD pipeline infrastructure as code. You could build your Kubernetes in code. So basically, you have this one realized document infrastructure as code. You deploy it, and then all of a sudden, you have this infrastructure up and running. And you know, it's it's pretty cool. So this is some sort of like Amazon YAML-looking, maybe kind of document that you. Um... Yeah. So it's basically just JSON or YAML, but we have higher level of abstractions. Like we have the AWS CDK which allows you to write CloudFormation in those higher level languages. So you can actually write those in Go, Python, oh, Node, okay. Java. So wow. literally in Go code, you can just create this infrastructure using CDK. So we meet developers where they're at. And you've been doing this for four years. Yes, I have. <laughs> okay, okay, all right, all right, all right. We're not gonna talk any more about that until we're like at the end here. So, so a couple things, a couple things set the stage. What year did you graduate from high school? Yeah, I got to age you a little bit here, Brian, but. Oh man, I am, I'm an oldie. So I graduated in 97. <laughs> Dude, don't even talk old, okay? I graduated in 87. <laughs> I got 10 years on you. You're, you're a young <laughs> duckling. You're, you know, I, I, in fact, I tease my wife because we, what I say to her is like, we're not spring chickens anymore. We're like summer chickens. Cause we're like in the next season, but you still a spring chicken, Brian. They're, they're, you're all good. Thank you. 90, 97. Okay. So I want you to just not think too hard about this question. Just don't just the first memory you have of getting your hands on a computer where you're hitting that keyboard, you're doing something. Yes. So I had always been into computers because my dad was in computers. I mean, literally he was, he bought his first computer from Radio Shack, brought it home. And then all of a sudden we were like off and learning the computer. And, you know, he did a lot of things with it. But for me to get into the computer field, it actually didn't start to like my second year of college. In fact, I was in my second year of college and I had this first whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Brian, I'm going to be interrupting you a lot. Okay. We're, that's No, no, no. We got to get back. You got to get back. You got to tell me a little bit about your dad. What, what's going on? Was he, a, was, he a, was he a technical person? What was he doing, I guess, career-wise? it. Oh, he was a brilliant man. I mean, my dad, um, he did a lot of things in his life. He was a carpenter. He did taxes. 
He was a truck driver. He was just absolute brilliant man. Um, he had this, this knack for acquiring skills and actually just turning these into complete careers. Literally, we went to a mall one day and there was a stained glass store there. So he got interested in doing stained glass. So he started doing stained glass and he started making stained glass doors and he started doing construction around them. And he was just, he was amazing. He's just a brilliant man with a lot of skills. That's awesome because I, I, you know, I would see the stained glass door and I'd be like, I'd love to do that, but you know, like, it's going to be too hard for me, right? And I would just like not, not even try. So I'm always impressed with people who just look at something and they don't particularly care what the challenge is. Like, I guess even if you fail, who cares? You've tried, right? Yeah, and I get that from him too. I'm like, when I'm not doing computer stuff or programming or cloud stuff, I'm off building a car in a garage, right? I'm off painting and stuff. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I, I got that from him. So how old are do you? Th so when he brings this computer home, are you like junior high school? Like, you remember kind of how old you were at the time? Um, yeah, so I would think it was late 90s. So I would say it was uh, early 90s. It was probably about 91 or maybe 90. Because I remember from him that, you know, when, when that all started, we actually had a Nintendo. And that was around 86. So I think a couple years after that, um, he really started to jump into computers and really started to, you know, use them. Um, yeah. <laughs> But like when you say using them, using them like as word processors and spreadsheets or internet, or was he doing any programming at all? Do you... No, not programming. At the time, it was kind of a novelty. You could actually go to Radio Shack and buy these computers. So he was like, hey, this thing sounds great. So he ended up buying a computer. And it was one of those things where he brought it home, sat in front of the family, and it has just had this glow on. It's like, here's a computer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like, this is, this is the future. He saw this coming, right? So he would use it. He would do spreadsheets. Um, he would get us interested in it and play a video game. So I would literally try to play video games, shoving the floppy disk in there and just didn't know what I was really doing. I just knew that, you know, I just kind of played around on the computer. How many, how many siblings did you, did you have to compete for? T well, actually, was your dad open to letting you I guess use it for games. Did he have to be around? Um, was he a little bit protective of it? Because I'm sure it was super expensive. Yeah, not really. He really wanted us to get into it. And I remember at the time it was like mostly DOS, right? So he would, there's this DOS racing video game that I would just play with and it would spin up and he would have me kind of play around with that. I didn't know how to start it, but he would bring me in and actually show me how to do this. And then he started evolving and then he started to like get these spreadsheet programs and just really started to use it. He actually saw that this would be amazing for the world and wanted to use it. Although that wasn't his um, trade, you know, he was, he was doing other things. So he was either a carpenter doing other things, but he just saw that the computer was important to learn. But I, I get a sense that you just saw it as dad's toy and I could play on it every once in a while, but your interest. So what were you interested in? Um, in junior high, you're heading guy. your car, car guy, I, I car car guy. guy. I, I NASCAR. Love, no, just cars in general, the whole thing. Ever since I was a little kid, since I was two years old, I love cars. I love Hot Wheels. I mean, so much that I would eat them as a kid, stick them in my mouth. <laughs> I, mean, I just love them. My mom at the time, 
<laughs> you know, looking back on this, I don't think it was the greatest thing for her to do, but to babysit us, she would stick me in front of the TV and let me watch Smokey and the Bandit, which I don't think that's a great film for a kid <laughs> looking back, but it's my favorite. <laughs> I went to the movie theaters with my dad to see that movie. It's one of my favorite movies too. But at the time, you didn't think about what we think about today, no, right? With all of that, uh, my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Burt Reynolds was, uh, yeah. Can, did you ever see Cannonball Run? Which I, I cannot get. Run. I can't stream it. Yeah, I was looking for it like like a week ago. I can stream Cannonball Run two. But like all the movies I really remember, they're hard to, ah, oh, yeah, Cannonball was the other one. All right, so, you know, what's funny about the Matchbox car, I, I'm not a car guy, I never got into the cars, but I always had a lunchbox of Matchbox cars, and I would just like have demolition derbies with them. The car flipped, they were out. And like, this is what I would do for hours, just try to get these two cars to hit each other and flip, you know? They were destroyed within a year, but... That was kind of my thing with the Matchbox cars. You still have any from from back in the day? Did you get? Are you kidding me? I am a huge car guy. I, I literally am at, at at my age right now, going back and collecting the toys that my mom never let me have. <laughs> so I find myself trying to find these old like toys that existed back then, and these these um, even RC cars and Hess trucks. I like got into Hess trucks because my mom wasn't able to buy them for me. Oh my dad! Yeah, sir. yeah, so yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Every Collect Christmas, every Christmas, my dad would come home with the new Hess truck because that's when they were selling them. And I, I grew up in New York, and I had them all, dude. But again, I, I think I found one like a couple months ago too, and I wish I had known, dude. Oh man, I, wow. Wow, that's so you must have this massive room of just toys and and somewhat. I, I have in my office, I keep some remote control cars here to show there's some in the background. I keep them on my desk. Um, I also build cars, so I real cars. I actually have a huge garage with a lot of tools. So you'll find me on weekends restoring a car, welding, or trying to find a car. Um, I'm, Definitely so now I have to ask you, what you're, are you driving anything special right now? Is there something that, like, aren't you afraid with the way people drive today and the roads to even take one of these cars out? I, I panic. I get, I panic when I see a car like that on the road here in Miami. Yeah. So luckily I live in a town. And so a lot of reason why I live here is because Athens, Georgia doesn't have emissions. So I can literally get away with kind of putting any car on the road. Um, so lately I've been getting into collecting historic rally cars. So I have a few of those that Georgia actually didn't title and drive on the street. So I drive these historic rally cars that were really raced on the street. And that's kind of my new passion now. That's wild. All right. I, we could talk, I could talk about that. Well, we got we to get you into, I, I, I want to kind of get into your head around ninth grade, right? Like high school, those four years are really formative when you're, you still don't really maybe know what you want to do. By the t four years later, you're supposed to have some, sort of idea so as you're entering high school what's kind of going on where were you that deep into cars already what were your sports music like what's going on in ninth grade yeah so i was very deep into cars my whole life i couldn't wait to get my license um in ninth grade you know i, I kind of had a very sheltered high school and no school life 
Um, at the, at the time I was into track and field, my dad impressed on me that I had to do track and field. So I was always at school doing track or training for track or running track. What was your race? What was your, I had to, I was a long distance runner. So I did the mile, three mile and the cross country, which I always wished I was a sprinter because they were done in like 10 seconds. I had to run for 20 minutes. <laughs> what was your race? I was a full hundred hurdler. Um, so oh. I, yes. So what I'm was your fastest child. time? What was your fastest time? I think I broke 51 and some change. Hurdling? Yeah, I know. You it's broke amazing. 50 <laughs> seconds hurdling? Oh, yeah, dude. so it was like 51 or something and during the summertime or something like that. Yeah. You were fast. How tall are you? I'm How about 6'3". 6'3", running that fast yeah. hurdling? I always yeah, saw so this. I'm actually a middle child, and my older brother is a really good hurdler. He was a world champion for some time. So he ran at Georgia Tech. He won national championship a couple times. He was very close to going to the Olympics, and he could run 48. So I was like his younger brother that they wanted to do well. But I didn't do as well as him, but he was a world champion. He went to Olympics. He's he's amazing. I don't care, dude. At a high school level, that's still – it just it, – it always hurts when you have one other person in front of you that just is just better, right? And you're, you're running amazing time. That's – for anybody who's never run tra – just to get that time without hurdling, uh, like uh, – wow, dude. That's impressive. Even I, – I, I always felt that the guys that ran that fast were a little smaller than 6'3". Yeah. But so you got to move it. were just big. Also through the wow. javelin, a lot of people don't know that. So, oh, <laughs> nice. I, I, I don't think I ever tried to throw a javelin. But I used to pretend to throw the uh, the shot put. But dude, I'm like, I was back in high school. I was probably like, I'm five eight now. Maybe I was five five and like ninety pounds wet. So, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't doing much there, man. But that's wild. So, you're you're an athlete. I mean, I like. I, I know you're not you're in the Olympics level, but I mean you're an athlete, right? So, so that's that's really good. All right. So, what else are you doing in high school? You're, you're... I was running track, just going to school every day. Um, it was it was it was hard. Um, you know, me and my mom and dad did the best they could. And at that time, you know, like I said, my dad was into off into a lot of careers and everything. And one thing that he did was try to start a business and literally my mom came up with this invention she's a brilliant woman of having these baby diapers and you put like the white ones on the side or something so it was like pocket changes what she called them so they were trying to manufacture this diaper so that was interesting and it didn't go very well just to say our family had a little tough time so during high school um yeah we had tough financial time so it was all I could do is just go to school and run track. And it was, it was crazy. But, you know, I, looking back on it, I think it was amazing what my parents did. And it was amazing that I just went to school and, and did what I did at the time. So. But there's no regrets there. Cause you know, oh. I, I think it's so important to try, especially from a, like my first business failed miserably and I had five kids and I was way underwater when it all failed. Right. But, at least I'm not wondering if it was going to be successful or not. Like, I know it didn't, and that's fine. And I'm sure even for your parents, you know, somehow you make it happen, right? You always make it happen even when you fail. They did. And then um, to go to school was very tough. Like, I have a younger brother, two years younger than me. 
And we had to go to school on the bus, like the the transit bus. So we had to wake up at like Oh, the city transit bus. Yeah, so we had to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, catch a train to a bus stop in order to get to the bus stop in our area because our parents didn't want us to move areas, even though we couldn't we had to move from the town that we were in. They want to keep us in the school system. So me and my little brother at the time had to catch a bus and several buses to get to the school bus every day. And it was amazing. Yeah, but you did it. Did you do that without a fight? I mean, as you get older? No. My mom, my mom showed us how to do it the first time, right? So literally she showed us how to wake up, catch the bus, catch all these trains to get to the bus stop. And it's me and my little brother. And she just showed us one time and then she just let us go. And it was amazing to think about it. And she must have been so fearful on how we did this. We actually caught the bus there and coming back. And we went every day. And I think about it today, like me and my little brother think about it. It's like, we never thought about skipping school. We just went like little robots. We were there every day. <laughs> I mean, dude, I got an 18-year-old with a car. I can't get him to go to school at this point, right? Like the, the, the fights I have with like, dude, just go to school. And that's amazing that it was never even in your brain that, you know what, I just don't want to wake up this morning. No, Were you I'm a good student? I, yes. Uh, well, I was okay. I would say I was a B student. And the reason why I just wanted to go to college so bad so I could have my own place. And, you know, that was my motivation is to get a track scholarship that someone would take me so I could have my own place and I could, you know, wouldn't have to do such hard things at home. That's essentially just the only thing I wanted in my life. <laughs> See, I think it's important if you don't have something you're working towards, which I could tell you my, my two teenage boys really just didn't have it, then it's a fight to just go to school or fight to get up. It's a fight because you're not working towards something. Finding that early on is, I think, critical in, in all these teenagers. It's, oh. I'm glad you had that. It was traumatic. And, you know, a lot of people in the school didn't know how financially strapped my parents were, or, you know, how bad we lived. But a lot of people didn't know that. And it was interesting because my wife and I went to the same school. Well, we, I've known my wife since we went to middle school and high school together, but we weren't together back then. And she would literally drive past us like at the bus stop. And she just thought that we were just going home. We were fine. Even though she could drive, it was it's, it's quite amazing for me to talk to her about that now. <laughs> yeah, I and I'm sure looking back on it now, you wouldn't have wanted it any other way, right? The no, no. yeah, because you learned strong, resilient. Yeah, um, but would you have your kids do that today? Probably, <laughs> be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And we live in a yeah. different time. I know. We just live in a different time. Though my wife's stepdaughter, who's, um, well, my stepdaughter, my wife's daughter, she's 15 and she's taking public transportation back and forth to school. And I'm always like, I'm always a little more nervous. They're, they're like, no, sh this is the time to do it. So, no, I've, that's cool. All right. So, you're, you're running track. You're going through high school. I mean, I was a C student. I was so immature in high school, dude. I, I just hated school. So, I mean, B's are, B's are fine. That's good. And your goal is you want to get into university, maybe on a scholarship to run track and field so you can get out and be on your own. Are, 
what university are you thinking? Like you wanted to go to the, you wanted to stay here in Georgia? Were you thinking I want to get out, get away? Clemson. I wanted to go to Clemson. Oh, first oh. I wanted to go to Georgia Tech, and you know everyone wanted me to go there, and my older brother tried, but I wasn't as good as him, so I felt I could go to Clemson and get a scholarship there. But um, yeah, that's what I was trying to do: just go to Clemson University. Is Georgia Tech that like elite in terms of athletics that your brother, who almost went to the Olympics, couldn't get into Georgia Tech for track and field? Oh, track man, and field back then it was the top and it was the cream of the crop and I was dreaming to get a scholarship there but I figured I was not as good as him so um, yeah so I tried to get into Clemson University Came did close. you get in? well that's the story behind that too like literally I was they were trying to recruit me I was doing well in my senior year I ended up getting hurt a little bit so I didn't make um, the finals for the 400 but I made the 110 it was disappointing, but I didn't end up going to Clemson. I ended up going to Albany State University uh, for my first year of college. Albany State, as in like New York, Georgia, New York, Albany, Georgia. oh Georgia, Albany. The only Albany I oh thank God because I was like whoa that's crazy, Albany. Okay, wait, wait. Uh, so so okay, hold on, hold on. All right, so you got hurt a little bit, so you couldn't get that time that you needed for Clemson to finally recruit you. I'm sure you're kind of bummed out at that point, but you, you still want to kind of get out of the house. So how far away is Albany State from where you were living? And then what did you know what you wanted to study as well, uh, getting out of high school? <laughs> yeah, so I went to Albany, Georgia. It's about two and a half miles from Atlanta. It's like right smack in the middle of Georgia. And um, basically, it was a good school for football at the time. Um, it was the only school that would take me. My coach pulled some screens and I ended up going down there and and it was it was surreal. Um, like I said, my life had been completely sheltered by my parents, literally. I just go to school and and um just run track. I didn't have a car. I wanted one very badly, but I didn't. So it was quite weird because my parents, I got the scholarship, they drove me down there and they literally dropped me off and just said, Hey, we'll see you later. I was like, what am I going to do for food? What am I going to do to eat? I don't know anything. So it was kind of traumatic. They just dropped me in the middle of Georgia, and I don't know how to do anything for myself, but I ended up making a way down there. So, But that means you had to get – there was no meal plans or nothing? You had to get a job, like, immediately? So it was a meal plan there, um, and they had it. So you had housing and meal plans and stuff. And when I got down there – you know, I, I met some friends and stuff. And I was a strange kid because of while well, what was going on in my life. I was a weird kid. I was a grunge rocker kid, which was very unusual. And if you don't know anything about Albany State, it's a historic black college. So I kind of didn't fit in. It was it was really weird. I'm like down there and all this like grunge stuff, looking all cool and stuff. I thought it was cool. But I was definitely like a, a weird person to be down there. But uh, what was the music you were listening to at the time? Oh, Stone Temple Pilots. <laughs> that was my favorite band. I remember seeing Scott Weiland in, in the video for Purple, and I just kind of fell in love with that whole genre. So, yeah, um, Soundgarden. So, like, you're wearing, like, the, the boots and jeans mm -hmm. and the jacket and your your hair? Dude, you, you got, like, long hair? Like... You, you're grunging on the hair or? No, I wasn't grunging on the hair, but it was, it, I, at the time, remember that movie Hackers? 
I kind of look like you, one of those yeah. kids. Yeah. Ah, so when I went down, okay. When I went down to, to Albany State, I was riding rollerblades, and I was like, look like this happy kid, and it was. Was, oh, we need weird, pictures, though. Brian. We got we we need to find <laughs> some pictures, man. I I gotta see that. So, yeah. but you got so you had a scholarship to run track there, which was paying for a lot of that. But you didn't feel like you were fitting in. What and you didn't know what you really wanted to do yet. So I guess you just start off with taking all the basic liberal art classes. Yeah, so I started off in biology. It was. They kind of pushed me to be a vet, which is weird. Who's pushing you to be a vet? Who, well, the school? Everyone, yeah, the school was. They were like, hey, you can get do biology and you can be a vet. And I was like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> uh, so, But your love for cars, you never had in your head? Maybe you wanted to do something more mechanical? No, I felt that I was cursed because uh, my younger brother and older brother got a car when they turned 16, and I never got that. I didn't get a collar to uh, second year of college when I bought it myself. And that right there, I think, changed my whole life. I, I think it changed the direction of a lot of it. That simple act. <laughs> but you, that's okay. A couple of things. Couple of, you had experience using public transportation, right? You could get around fairly, though I imagine most of your friends still were local where you didn't need a car. I, I mean, how does that work? Well, it wasn't so much about friends and stuff. I just had a passion for cars. I wanted my own car. I used to look at Auto Trader all the time, trying to figure out if my parents could afford this car for me with a couple thousand dollars, and I would keep up with the cost. But I never got it until like I was second year in college, and then like I think I got to a point where my dad was just like, "Go to school. You don't need a car." All right. So at one point, so you now you got a car. You've got this freedom you've always desired, but you're you're still in school, right? So. Is there a moment in university where you kind of start to figure out maybe what you want to do when university is over? Not yet. I did. Um, so it was weird. So down at Albany State, I stayed a year down there. Um, I was doing all right. And then I was in biology. And then the teachers down there were looking for people to do an internship at University of Georgia. So basically, it was like this internship where they would pay you for the year. And you would do some kind of science experiments or whatever. So I kind of got into that and went to the University of Georgia for that first summer. And I did all right. Like I did an experiment with um, the crop and soil department in which I was doing agronomy. So environmental soil science. So literally I did an experiment on um, chicken waste and how it pollutes um, kind of the, the soil, like the runoff from like poultry farms and stuff. So I started working with this doctor named Dr. Cabrera. He was a brilliant man. Um, he was weird because he was his doctor in environmental soil science. But oh, by the way, he had a master's degree in computer science. It was it was kind of weird that, to see this guy that did both. So I ended up, you know, liking the program, transferring to UGA to be a crop and soil science major. So that's what I came to UGA to do is to finish the experiment and then graduate do that. Okay, hold on a second. I'm trying to understand it. You, you did a year of university at Albany, and then for your second year, you were an intern. Did that count towards college credits? No, they, they paid you. It was a $3,000 stipend to do a research experiment at University of Georgia, and it's a job. And that, so that kind of meant that you, you weren't taking credits towards your degree anymore. You were kind of essentially working. Working. 
and you, and then how did, oh, but now you had the car, so you could drive oh, oh, over. No, oh, not yet. So how course. are you getting to that university? I guess you had to leave Albany. Yeah, yeah. So we stayed on campus at University of Georgia for those, for the full summertime. So and they paid you and stuff like that. So it was weird to go from that university to UGA. There's different cultures, you know, the way that they think about you here. But yeah, three months I stayed here doing an internship in the crop and soil department and they were paying me and life was good. And then you decided to apply to the school for that program and you got yeah. in, I, so I guess I on recommendation. You gave up track and field, you gave up your scholarship. You now go to the university and how are you paying for university now without the scholarship? Yeah, so yeah, that's where it kind of hit me. So UGA was a lot more expensive. So, you know, I just wanted to just be here. So, you know, student loans, that kind of deal. So I was able to make it to UGA. <laughs> and now your major is soil, say it again, you were studying soil? Crop and soil, crop and soil, environmental soil science. Did you, you, I don't, I feel like there's no way you could have enjoyed that. I just don't, I don't get a sense that you were passionate about soil, Brian. I don't, you were passionate about it? You, did you graduate with that degree? No, I didn't. I, I find it, that may have been the problem is that when I got here, I tried to do well in the, in the classes, but I didn't do that well. Um, and then I started to figure out another direction on what I could do. And I was like, I know a lot about computers. Let me try the computer science department. So I went down there and talked to them and ended up switching majors to be a computer science. Well, I think it was a lot of it was I was going to graduate and my, I, my, my passion was to work for the EPA, right? And I was like, I'm going to graduate for work for the EPA and life's going to be great. Then I looked at it. I was like, there's no way on the salary I can afford my student loans. <laughs> so I ended up changing direction and go to computer science and yeah, the rest was history. Okay. But where, how does, does computer science get on your radar because of that professor that you interned with? Is it like, well, look what, look what that person has. So. Yeah, I did. And I tried to figure out what else I knew about, like, I know a little bit about computers um, and I figured, you know, I could do this thing. And that's what I did. So you're two years kind of into a degree now and which was just fine, I guess, because you could do a lot of, you did a lot of liberal kind of studies. So now your last two years, you kind of focus on the computer science was the early on was the computer science, what you thought it was going to be, was it, were you enjoying it? Was it like, what did I just do to myself? Oh yeah, I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was, uh, it was, it felt like I knew what I was doing. At the time, you know, uh, we were learning Java. So I had this teacher that was teaching us Java and I would, it's just amazing. me. I used to just read the books about the API specs on it and I would come in class and he would teach us things about, you know, converting strings and stuff. And I was like, hey, no, you can just use this method. <laughs> you know, and it became this thing where I would just search the guide to like to find ways to easy do easier easily do these things he was trying to teach us. And I really started to dive in and really started to expand my knowledge when it comes to computer programming. Were you talking to your dad at all during this time that you're learning how to program? Because I mean, you talked about your dad really having a passion for the computer. Were you sharing any of that with him? 
I did. And he was so proud of me about doing the computer things. Super excited. They were excited. I finally found my neck at UGA. Um, and then it was the following year is when I really disappointed him. So. <laughs> okay. Go on. That's a story. <laughs> I told you my on. way to got, well, I got to where I am right now is, is strange and unique. <laughs> so what was going to be your final year in your undergraduate degree at UGA? What happens? Well, I am passionate about cars and passionate about other things like motorcycles and stuff. So I ended up buying a motorcycle on eBay, this, this crotch rocket that, that needed a lot of work. I bought it for $2,000 and my friend helped me tow it home, got to working on it and it didn't run very well. So I took it to a local mechanic here in town named Clint. He's still my best friend. He's one of my best friends. And he's like, I was like, how much is it going to cost to fix this bike? He was like, it's going to be a lot of money. I was like, okay, um, how about I come work for you? <laughs> so I asked to work for him in his motorcycle shop in order to fix my bike and buy parts. And then I was like, great, this is going to be awesome. So then I went home and told my dad. Wait, 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 wait. You had to work. Wait, 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 time out, time out. Okay, time out, time out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm expecting you to say that I'm going to work part time while I finish university because I'm really enjoying the computer science and I, I see the path, but you're about to tell me that you stopped school to work full time in the bike shop so you could work on this, this, that became more important to you than anything else. It did. I wanted to fix my bike and I wanted to drive my motorcycle. So I quit. I told, went home, told my parents, I'm quitting UGA and I'm going to go work at a motorcycle shop. Yeah, I would have lost my, <laughs> my, I would have lost my, I had two kids who kind of was telling me how they wanted to like change majors with like a year left. And I like panicked. I said, no, you finish what you started. And they did. I would have, yeah, you and I would have had a long conversation, Brian. You must have had a long conversation. <laughs> yeah, they, they were shocked. They were completely shocked that I was just quitting school to go work in this motorcycle shop. And I, looking back on it, I think it was the best thing for me. Um, Why? Yeah. Why? I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Um, so me and the owner of the computer of the, of the motorcycle shop had a unique um, relationship in which he in, in, internally wanted to know about more about computers and not do motorcycle stuff all day. And I did computer stuff and I didn't, didn't want, I wanted to work on motorcycles all day. So we would trade knowledge. So he would show me how to work on motorcycles, do these things. I would show him how to set up his computer to run his business and keep that rolling. And, and while I was at the motorcycle shop, I got to know a lot of cool things. So not only was I fixing my bike, he had a race team. So I raced off-road endurance racing. So I raced motorcycles. That's off-road. Also did drag racing with motorcycles. So I was working at the shop and being a racer. Where were you living? Did you move back in with your parents or did you? You were Okay. All right. So you had, you, you, you had your place and you had, so, I mean, honestly, I don't find anything wrong with when I tell my kids all the time, I go, getting into a trade is an amazing way of having a career. There's no, I don't know why in this country we treat people with trades as if they're like second class citizens. I mean, my plumber has, uh, has a house in the keys dude and 
more boats than I have. I mean, like, like if you're really good at your trade and your customer service skills are up there and you have setting expectations, you, I mean, you can get, if money is your thing, you can make a lot of money, right? Um, but there is the stigma about having a, a university education too, right? But it seems to me that you were like, this is my passion. This is really where my heart is. This is what I want to do. And you found the opportunity. So did you ever get the... It was bad financially because he had this idea that I would order parts and he would take them out of my paycheck. So I would literally make $100 a week. So How are you paying rent? Parts, I was barely scraping by. I was paying... I was like, every time I ordered a new exhaust for my car, he'd be like, that's coming out of your paycheck. And I was like, God. So I literally was like making like $100 a week. I was just very, very poor, but I was happy. Um. <laughs> oh, you somehow you, you make it, ha right? We said it before. You somehow make it happen if that's what you want to do. Did you ever get the bike up and running the way you wanted it? Absolutely. It was gorgeous. It was a drag bike that I built in a race, and it's called Big Slick ace king it was hilarious um i still have pictures of it i kept the bike for a while and then i ended up selling it uh, five years ago but yeah it was i got it done and i was super excited okay time out you spent two grand on the bike to start with and then you probably would it have been cheaper at the end to just not that i guess you had the cash but saying would it have been cheaper at the end to buy a more expensive bike up front and fix that or probably so but I just had this passion that I had to fix this bike. I loved it. It was, it was my heart. And I was going to do everything possible, including changing careers to try to fix it. And you only, and you had it up till about five years ago. I mean, that's a long time. Yeah, I, it, it evolved over time and I learned a lot. I learned how to build engines and transmissions. I became a really good mechanic working in his shop. Do the bikes have the computer stuff like the cars do today? Where if you don't, have the computer systems, you just, everything's computerized, at least on the cars. Are the bikes like that, or are they still more mechanical? This one was more mechanical. It was an older GSXR. I think it was, what, a 93? So it was, a, it was an older, older bike. How long did you work in that shop, right? So you started, wait, you graduated high school in 97. You did a year, 98, you did a year there, 99. So... I guess about year 2000, you started with the shop. How long were you, how long were you there? So I was about a year and some change. And then the owner at the time was going to sell his shop and uh, merge with a larger shop in Athens. So they was going to sell his shop and then he was going to take employment at the other shop, start a race team there. And then he was like, Brian, you can come with me or you can go back to school. So I was like, I'll go back to school. So I went back to school and he went to the shop and I went back to UGA to finish my computer science. Degree. But your bike isn't done yet. So your bike went with done. him. It was done by yeah. then. So you, you already got yeah. it. You got it done. Okay. All right. So, so this is like, you did a, a one year sabbatical. You, you, you did an internship. You, you know more about, uh, you did your passion. Your credits didn't go away because it was only a year. So then you were able to go pick up where you left off. And then you finished your degree, Brian. Did you get that degree from UGA? Yes. I, yes. So while doing my degree, I had to get another job. So I ended up working for a um, K-12 private school here in town. 
They had a laptop program. So I worked in the help desk, working on laptops, doing networking, and beyond the UGA, finishing my degree. So that's where I landed. Ah, you said, so you did the school IT work, which is like zero stress, right? I mean, maybe when the network goes down, life's, life's bad, but but that, that was a cool job. How'd you get that job? You just applied or somebody told you about that job? I just, someone told me about it. I had some friends and my friend, um, he's my friend now, Chip, ran the help desk. He's like, hey, yeah, you can come in here doing laptop repairs. So I did laptop repairs and services for kids there. You know what I love, Brian? Every time you drop a name, you're like, and they're still my friend. It didn't matter what year it was. Like, that's, they are. that is super impressive. I don't, I mean, yeah, that is super impressive that you're able to maintain the relationships that long. Still to this day, I still talk to these people all the time. And I have seen that have this pattern of apprenticing in these careers and ended up staying there for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What year do you, what year do you graduate? with your undergraduate degree there in UGA? It took me a little while because I was doing part-time and financially stuff. So I finally got done in 2007. 2007, okay. So, I mean, it took you about 10 years uh, to get your degree, but you got it done and you got to work on things that you were passionate about in between. Um, what else is happening to you in those 10 years? It can't just all be work, man. Are you, no, you're racing, no. right? I guess you're, you're into the racing. Yeah. And trying to just make it as a student. It was hard. It was back in the day, you had to go to class. So it wasn't like you could take anything online. So I had to raise my work schedule around it. I had to afford everything on my own. It was definitely a financial struggle where it took me so long, but I finally got out. And um, I had this vision what did your parents say? What did your parents say when you when you finally graduated? Like, yeah. So they were they were really excited for me. Um, so yeah, they were super excited when I finally graduated. Um, what was weird is when I finally graduated, I was going to be a software engineer. I wanted to be a software engineer, but my boss Chip that had hired me for the help desk decided to leave and go work for UGA. So I'm like graduating from UGA. And then the school was like, no one else can take the job. We'll give it to Brian. So they may be technology director of the school getting out of college. I was like, sure, I'll take it. So I was like the technology director of the school all of a sudden, just out of nowhere. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. I, I, I'm sure they weren't paying you that much, though, because these schools don't really have a budget. I thought they were paying me a lot at the time. Um, <laughs> 43000 or something. And then we got paid every month. It was like 12 payments. I thought I was rich. I was like, I'm rich. So I took the job and I was a technology director. And I can't believe they let me do that. It was, I was so young and inexperienced. To the fact that my very first day when school started, um, I got into an issue with, you know, everyone on the network. It was probably about, I don't know, it's a couple thousand people on the network. And my DNS server, um, apparently the, the previous chip didn't tell me he didn't back up things <laughs> as much, right? So the processor fan falls off the DNS server, wipes out the DNS server that he never backed up and no one could get on the internet. And this is Windows computers, so they rely on it. So on the very first day of school, the whole network went dark and just blacked out. There was nothing we could do. Um, they couldn't recover it. So there I am, my very first day, just sweating 
trying to figure out how I can get a thousand, two thousand computers back on the network and get school up and running again. I had to end up writing scripts to add the computers back to the domain. I worked like 48 hours straight trying to do, clean up my mess. How long did it take you to identify what the problem was? Or just you knew that was a DNS machine and it turned off? Uh-huh. Yeah, so basically we lost everything. You know, computers couldn't connect, no passwords, wireless was down. I looked at it and then I was just freaking out and I was called Chip. I said, Chip, did you back these things up? He was like, yeah, we did one or two. <laughs> I was like, so we had to redo the whole network in like a couple of days and add these computers back on. It was it was very traumatic. I like literally on my very first day as being a technology director, I thought I was gonna get so fired. <laughs> but after that, you like you never had like it was never that bad again, right? Like you just I I I went back and I just I tightened up the network. And it was amazing. I was a pretty young guy and I was responsible for like the second largest fiber optic network in North Georgia because they had a lot of fiber. I was involved with running construction for fiber, running the network, purchasing for the laptops. I was, it was weird to put me in that position as such a young experience, um, inexperienced person. Yeah. Well, you, you still knew more than anybody else, do you? <laughs> right? Like, yeah, oh. it was amazing. So how long were you at this job? Okay, so I was there for about nine years. So I was a technology nine director. Nine <laughs> years for this school? Yes, I, I was there working every day and uh, I tried to figure out how I could make myself better because I, I felt that I wanted to do other things. So then I went back to school and in a master's degree in education, in instructional While you were there, technology. within yes, those nine so years. So they paid for it. So I, I remember being at this event that my boss made me go to. And I thought she was going to invite me there to, you know, to to see the event. But then she invited me there for like help, like IT help for this event. And I was sitting in the crowd and they were honoring this person. And I remember looking at the stage and thinking, wow, they have a lot of degrees and they just done a lot of things. So at that point, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back to school and get another degree. What year was that? Was, were you already five years in? Was there at least that extra level of maturity? 2013 is when I decided to, to go, to go back to school and get a second math, to get the first master's degree. And, and was what was that going to be in again? It was going to be a degree in, in education. Yeah, it's instructional design and technology. So basically it's a degree in which you create online content and learning and stuff. So I did that because I had a computer science degree background, a computer science degree. And I went to that. So, um, yeah, that's where I learned how to do that. So you you were on the education track. You were in your head. This was this this was the industry you were going to stay in. Yes, I thought it was industry, and I figured that I would need advanced degrees in order to do more things and then technology director. So um, that's why I wanted, and I wanted to have some respect. You know, like they were respecting that woman on stage for having these degrees. I figured master's degree would people would respect me more. So. <laughs> so how long did it take you to get the master's? You were doing that part-time, right? That full-time. So I did it two years. Um, I literally get off work, drive there, do the classes, and then, you know, work every day. Um, so I finally graduated that in 2000, in 2015. Dude, that takes a lot of discipline to do that for two years. You basically shut down the rest of your life to yeah. get that degree for two years. I did. So now you have this master's degree in 2015. 
right? You're still there for another year, I guess. And then what happens? I was like, you know, I had finished this degree and I was at the school and I started looking at it and I was like, I love being at the school, but I can't no longer do this. So now I'm a guy that's been working for a school for nine years who has a computer science degree and knows a lot about networking. And, you know, where do I go from here? So it was just this weird point in my life is I didn't know what I was. I knew I could program. I knew I knew infrastructure. I knew fiber optic networks. I knew all these random things. And then I started looking on the internet and I came across this thing called meetup.com. So I, I started going to these meetups. So about technology stuff and just started, you know, learning about that kind of stuff. And I remember going there and meeting this recruiter and telling him, you know, about my background and everything I've done. And I was like, what am I? And he was like, you're a DevOps engineer. I was like, that's great. What is that? <laughs> so he showed me this job description of a DevOps engineer. And I was like, this sounds kind of like me. Let me try that. So I ended up looking for jobs locally here in town. And there was a startup here called Seller Labs. And what they did is they built tools for Amazon sellers to sell things online. So basically, third-party sellers would sell things. They built these online tools to help them, like quantify what the sale went to. So I ended up applying for a job there, and they brought me in for an interview. And it, it didn't go very well, I think. I, it, You've never interviewed before. You had never actually interviewed before, right? I mean, what really they wanted and what they wanted was just so out of my wheelhouse. I was like a Windows administrator and they were asking me questions about Linux and Mac and all these things. And I was just very energetic about it. And then I, I finally told them in the interview, I was like, I know I don't have the skills to do this, but let's make a deal. I'll work for you for two months for free. And if I do that, you could give me a job and I'll work for free. And they were like, hmm. They were like, well, we can't let you work for free, but let's give you a trial period. So while I was working at the school, there was summertime, it's kind of a downtime. So I ended up working for Seller Labs at this reduced salary, like $15. So I would leave Athens Academy and then go to Seller Labs and, and learn this trade as a DevOps engineer. And then after two months, I did pretty well to where they hired me full time. How do you tell the school that you've been at for a decade that's relying on you day in and day out that you are now moving on? Well, luckily my boss was moving on, so it was a little better. It put, took the heat off me because she was going to other school. But yeah, I finally told them that, you know, I'm going to retire. I just, I, it's not what I, it's not my passion anymore to do the school thing. How long are you at this next job in it? Oh, this is where it gets interesting. <laughs> So 2015, so now I'm a DevOps engineer. You know, I took the job and it was heavily involved in AWS and programming and I do Java and that kind of thing. So they wanted to use this thing. They were using Haskell at the time. So they were using functional programming. So they were using a programming that, you know, I wasn't used to. So as a DevOps engineer, I focused around automation and stuff. It was Kubernetes and stuff. And I didn't really enjoy Python. It's just not my thing. So I ended up finding your videos on Amazon and I bought them. <laughs> so, so it got really weird in the fact that, you know, I felt that I had to wipe away a lot of this kind of educational stigma for me because my, I, I look like a teacher on paper. 
So I decided to go back to school and get a second master's degree in computer science. So I decided to get a second master's degree in computer science in 2015. I worked as a DevOps engineer, trying to learn the AWS and learn Linux. Well, learn a little more about Linux and that kind of things. And then, by the way, I was watching your videos all the time so I could learn how to use Go. <laughs> so um, I did this for two years straight, just watching your videos in and out, trying to do the second master's degree, learning AWS stuff and learning the DevOps trade. And I did this for two years and it was it was quite a ride. Yeah, that's intense, dude. Like when you do something, you're hedged down. That's it. Um, we're gonna do this. We're gonna get this done. So, what was the what was the second master's degree in? Computer science. Computer science. It was like a general master's degree. Or did you specialize in a? No, um, it was. Um, yeah, it was a chat of a generalized, you know, master's degree. It was yeah, computer science from University of West Georgia. What did they focus on in that? In that master's degree you were taking at that time, what were they, what was the focus? So it was focused more on software engineering, but because of the industry I was in and because I was learning Go from you at the time, it kind of clashed a little bit. I was going to ask you that. I'm, I, I would almost have imagined that what I was saying was not what you were hearing. <laughs> Maybe during it your was. master's degree? Yeah. It was, especially with this one professor, a couple first year, it was a, it was it was a, it was a clash in which he was teaching Java in such a way that kind of didn't mirror the industry or what I was working on every day at Cello Labs, and there was just this this fight. Like he would grade my projects kind of harshly, even though I thought they were right. And I finally just said, you know, I'm gonna throw away my my pride and just get it done and turn it in the way he was. He was he wanted it versus trying to be right at the time. But yeah, it was hard. That's an important skill to have, Brian. That's an important skill, right? At the end of the day, he's the customer and this is what the customer wants. So you you gotta kinda just get, you know, it's part of the consulting. To be a good consultant sometimes is to do things not exactly the way you know they should be done because this is what the customer wants and this is what they're paying for. So that's good. You kind of learned that. But I'm... I did. It was a lesson. It was a hard lesson. Yeah, that's the... Yeah, I, I was... It's interesting, for sure. Because I think from a practical industry standpoint, we, at least a lot of us, really just focus on the readability, right? Like, less amount of code, readability. How do we, you know, on the engineering side? So I was interested to hear what the school was kind of teaching you in terms of engineering. Yeah, so basically it was heavily involved in Windows engineering. Well, that's what he wanted. And I was on a Mac, and I was learning Linux and doing cool, at the time I was doing containers and all these cool things. And like I would turn in my projects and they would be right, but he would take off because something to do with um, the, 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 the conversion when it went from my Mac to his Windows PC wasn't always right, right? It was like some characters or some weird spaces and he would deduct heavily for that. <laughs> and it was just like, gosh, really? <laughs> he, he, uh, I don't know, it, it became hard. What year again did you finish? You finished that degree in 2018? Yeah, I finished it two years later. Yeah, tw yeah, two years later and I graduated on my second master's degree in computer science. And at the time, it, I was also, I was felt like, hey, I got this degree in computer science. And oh, by the way, I was doing all the AWS certifications because 
when I started Seller Labs, Seller Labs was a very profitable company. It was a huge startup. But then right at the same time, my first, second month in, Amazon came up with this idea to not incentivize reviews, which hurt the company. They lost like 70% of their revenue right at that point. So it was a massive layoffs. So I was like, this DevOps engineer, they just hired. And I tried to figure out a way to make myself valuable to where they couldn't they can fire me. So I started, I started thinking about reducing their AWS bill. So I went through this whole thing of learning certifications, how we could save money there so they can keep me on. And I just fought to do that. And uh, that's why I learned AWS. So I ended up getting all the AWS certifications because I was trying to save my job. I was trying to make sure they wouldn't keep me because I had just got this new career. And that's why I learned a lot about the cloud. That's that's actually brilliant because you know I tell engineers all the time you're either you're either a revenue center or you're a cost center. You're one or the other. And if you're a cost center, like you cost because you're not directly helping in generating revenue, then your job is to save money, right? To help support your salary. And that's exactly what you did. You're like, I'm not directly helping with revenue. I'm more on the cost side of things and you found a way to reduce the eight wow, that's well, that's wild, dude. What a what a brilliant idea. Yeah, because the cost, I think, were at a high time, it was like $85,000 a year or something crazy. And I helped get it down to like, no, not a year, $85,000 a month. So I got it down to like $30,000 a year, uh, $30,000 a month. So I was just driving costs down in order to keep my job. <laughs> but was the majority of the cost savings in terms of like realizing you didn't need that much compute or that much disk or that much... Right, reducing machine sizes, like a little bit about bad air architecting. They tried to do it in such a way that it was great for on-prem, but not the cloud. Like for instance, they kept everything, like um, their applications and everything, on the East Coast in Amazon, like US East One, and put their databases on West because I felt they felt that maybe that was like a DR. But it cost them money to talk the app to talk all the way to California. That was just money. So and I didn't latency. learn that in the certification. Yeah, and so latency. We had to, Exactly. So I had to end up, you know, getting the certifications, understanding that, and then try to tell them that we need to move the database to service all the way, all the way back to the East Coast to save money. So that was part of the doing certification. So they would listen to me about these, you know, AWS architectures. So save the money by re-architecting things. <laughs> wow. I, I walked into a shop one time. Oh, I got to tell you a story because it popped in my head. I walked into a shop one time. And they were having all they, they were having all sorts of problems, okay? But at some point, I come to realize that they're running their services in Amazon, and they're running their database in Google Cloud. And I looked at them at one point, and I said, "What? What are you doing? The database needs to be as close to these services as possible. Why are you doing this?" They were like because we had Google Cloud credits and we wanted to use them. That was their answer. Uh, and my brain just went boom, like, oh my God. Like, okay, we, we're, we gotta do some things here. I go, you gotta pick one. Pick Amazon or Google, I don't really care. You know, but since your database is already over here, <laughs> maybe, maybe we move the services, <laughs> you know? it was. Dude, it was crazy. I couldn't believe it. But I guess at the time, if you didn't really understand that kind of stuff, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought twice. It, it, was, it was fast enough, so it worked, right? 
Yeah, exactly. But it was just it's cost you data transfer costs is huge, right? So, wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So with two master's degrees under your belt and another couple years of experience here, um, how much longer are you at this company? Yeah, yeah. Now all the AWS certifications. I had five certifications at the time, which was all of them. I uh, went to reInvent and it was awesome. So I was there at Cella Labs for what, two years or so? And then I decided to apply for a job at Amazon, AWS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanna, I wanna hear how that idea pops into your head. It was, it was because I just, I thought I could work there and take the interview in order to figure out how things work under the hood. So I mainly wanted to take the interview to Amazon, AWS, to figure out how these internal workings of these services I was using every day and bumping heads against like EC2 to figure out how they worked under the hood. Okay, so time, I out. Felt like time out, time out, time <laughs> out, time out. This is so brilliant. I don't know why I never thought of this. Dude, this is, this is going into the history books right here. Oh my God. I can't get the technical information I need. It's just not available and nobody at Amazon will talk to me. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna interview at Amazon and get in front of these engineers and I'm gonna interview them. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Oh my, this is one of my most prolific podcast moments of all time. Okay, Brian, keep going. This is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it was blowing their mind. So literally, I got there, and the first thing they had me do is they had me meet with a lot of technical people, a lot of engineers and stuff, um, at Sushi Architects. So I got in there, and I figured they would whiteboard me for these kind of things. And I was like, well, if they're going to do that, I'm going to bring my own markers. So I had my own markers, and I was ready to go, and it shocked them. I was like, I got this. <laughs> so I brought my own marker through the diagram and we'll go through the technical interview and then they will leave like 20 minutes for me to ask them things. I was like, okay, that's great. Now, how does EC2 work? <laughs> what happens? It Does it really pull from the bucket? I had all these like technical questions that you can get from the docs, but I was posing toward them because I was more obsessed on getting information for seller labs in order to, you know, progress our environment than I was getting a job. I felt like I was some kind of spy. <laughs> I, was like, I got to know it. This is mind blowing. And they so were answering like, everything. Yeah. They, and I was like, yeah. And it was just blowing their mind that I wanted to go in this depth because I had really no concern about getting the job. I just wanted all these technical questions asked uh, to, to answer. And if you get the right engineer, they want to prove to you they know this stuff. Like, dude, you just unlocked <laughs> an entire, like, oh my God, dude. I, my, I, that's it. I'm going to be talking about this for like weeks. Go on. Go on, go on, go on. Looking back on it, I think it was crazy because I remember going to the hotel, you know, people like try to prep for interviews and stuff. I was prepping on, I was looking at all the things I want to answer in these questions. I was like, I got to have them answer this and this and this and this. I wasn't prepping for the questions they were asking me. I was just like, I just throw it out the window and show them how I would do the architectures and how we sped up with Kubernetes and, and, and containers and I would do these things. But I really just wanted my questions asked about, like, how does it work? How does SQS really work? <laughs> so you go, what is this, like a day or two of interviewing, or is it just a one, one, one long day? 
one whole day. They flew me out to San Francisco and I interviewed there for one whole day. And I was just literally just awesome. Uh, and you got I, all the answers like, you wanted. I got all the information. I felt like I had got all the answers. And I was bringing them back home to Cellar Labs. <laughs> Did you have any? Okay, okay, time out. Okay, you're back on the plane to head back east. Okay, you're back on. Put your um, you're back on the plane to head back east. That's a, a three you know five hour flight generally four and a half five hour flight. Okay, are you thinking at all? Like they're going to offer you a job and did you care or your brain was just like, okay, I know what I'm going to do now when I get back to work. I know what I need to change. Yes. They, I, I thought that I had the information I needed in order to fix some issues at Cell Labs. So I was immediately emailing my boss like, this is how it really works. (laughs) 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 So we could do this to change the architecture. It was Dude, I, if there's a life hack website anywhere, I'm, this is number one, dude. I, I'm, I, I am blown away. All right. So how long does it take Amazon to call you back and say, we want to offer you a job? Like a week or so. Um, it was like a week or so. And they offered me a job. And when they offered me a job, I went to the, the CEO of Amazon. Uh, of, wait, um, wait, 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 wait. Don't go that fast. No, 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 no. I got it. This is too good. Did they send you an email or they call you? And were you like, the recruiter. really? The recruiter, the recruiter called recruiter you called and me. said they want to offer yes. you a position. Yes. They said and they you were like, position. and what, you were like, I, okay, it's not April 1st. So leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, I was like, okay, that's great. That's great. They, 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 they were like, they were like, how, do you know how much you want to make? I was like, I don't know. Just whatever. <laughs> so they sent an offer to everything. And I took the offer to the CEO of Seller Labs and say, look, Amazon's trying to hire me away. They offered me this. Uh, I'm not going to take it. <laughs> Even though it was much less than what I was making because I wanted to stay. And he, he told me, his, uh, his name is Hank. And yeah, we're still good friends. He's like, Brian, if you don't take this job, I'm just going to have to fire you. <laughs> that, that's a good that's a good manager that's a good <laughs> yeah. manager so you really were seriously just not interested in why was it did you was it loyalty where you were yeah it was because i felt like they took this shot on this guy that kind of looked like a teacher on paper to run their devops to, to be to work in devops with them you know to be in front line of like these issues with you know, and in the financial time that they had too, it's like when when Cell Labs went through a process in which they were losing tons of money, and they didn't fire me; they kept me on. Um, I felt uh, loyal to them for that. Now, this was you said his name was Hank. Hank. Yes, Hank. Did Hank at least then at that point help you negotiate your salary? <laughs> no, I just I, I would I would have yeah. yeah I would have said okay, Hank. Since you since you're gonna fire me, tell me what I need to do now. <laughs> He's like, take the job, Brian. I was like, okay, I'll take it. And you got to work remote. You got to stay in in uh, in Georgia. So I got to enjoy Georgia. I traveled a lot. Um, I learned a lot of things. What What was the job? What was the job they hired you for? <laughs> I was a solution architect, and I was a global segment lead for cloud management tools. And I had no idea what that meant when they hired me. Um, what does it felt, mean? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So basically, 
AWS has a partner org in which they have partners um, that for different segments and horizontals and stuff like that. And I was a solution architect that was kind of head of that whole wing for cloud management tools. So basically, I would help partners build integrations on AWS, uh, try to figure out where the market is going from a technical uh, point, try to figure out where the market was going and working with a business partner to, to, to align that. And I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I, know, I think they hired me in that space in that I thought I was a really good DevOps person, a new containers and all these like, industry things. But in cloud management tools, a lot of times those customers aren't there yet, at least wasn't there yet. So I think they thought that I could kind of carve out the future there, right? Um, With your personality and your ability to communicate, and coming from a fast startup, you know, coming from a fast startup that worked with these companies that were not that fast moving, right? And trying to get them to that point. So I think that's why they brought me in as this perspective to move technology in a different direction. And you're kind of still doing the same job now after a couple of years, so. Yes, I did the same job. And then I started to really get into cloud formation and working with the service team, which is one of our tools. And I was like, God, I really love this. I love these people. Someday I want to work for them. And a door opened up to where I got to work for them. And that's where I'm at today. <laughs> wow. So what's the what's your favorite part of the job right now that you're working on? And I'd like to kind of get a sense of where you, what are you thinking like three, you can't go more than three years, like three years from now where at least where Brian's head is. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm at a point now where I think infrastructure's code is great for everyone and like developers, specific Go developers. Cause you gotta remember, I didn't learn Go until 2015. So I bought your classes and I literally learned it because they were doing Haskell's and stuff. And I was figured that I could use Go and it'd be faster. Right. So I would literally just watch your videos over and over again, which I still do to this day. I'm like, I have them, I purchased them. So I can go back and learn these things. And I would watch your videos and try to really use it. And I became, I think, really okay with it. And then I started using it for infrastructure as code and AWS. And now I'm bringing that to CloudFormation. I'm actually showing, um, proving the point that Go can be a really good tool for infrastructure as code. And so everything I do within AWS as a developer advocate, is trying to show people that code can be used to deploy infrastructure. And I think that's my back. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you access to the Arden Lab site after this podcast. Dude. So you have the, <laughs> have at least the updated latest version of, of uh, all the material. Because uh, the stuff you're looking at, I think is pretty old. But, and not that, you know, you know, Go hasn't changed tremendously. But yeah, no, no, no. We're, I'm going to send you that. You gotta, I got to get you on the latest, greatest stuff. But that's that's amazing, dude. And that level of education you, you now have, um, both industry-wise and, and university-wise, that's that's amazing. Let me ask you a question. Has the, I, I'm really glad you got those masters. I, I can't go back to school. I, I just, it's just not my personality. And I'm always impressed with anybody who can go back and do that, especially as an adult. Um, that being said, I'm just kind of curious, do you feel that the degrees of, other than your CV, right? Have the degrees kind of helped you technically? Do you feel like those Amazon certifications were 
maybe more important to your day to day. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts there. Not to discredit any master's degree <laughs> at all, because that's just getting that done is super impressive, right? But I'm just curious about the content. I, I think far as content wise, I think the certifications, having the job as the DevOps engineer and having the hands-on sphere as Athens Academy really shaped me more so than the degrees. I think that if anything, it enhanced my knowledge and degrees because I was walking into this second master's degree, trying to innovate there and take them to a new place. But, you know, that's not what they wanted, right? So I had to end up just doing what they wanted and essentially annihilating, and it was okay. But I learned a valuable la lesson was like you said, is it's what the customer wants. He didn't want me to like bring all these, these fancy ideas with containers and things, even though I thought it was great, but at what cost? It would have cost me getting my degree. It wouldn't have changed him in the way that he taught. So uh, that was a very important lesson learned. I think in the end, it's definitely worth it to have the degrees because I think it opens up some doors. Um, and I think there's a call for both is what I tried to do. I didn't try to put all my eggs in one basket. Like I've always lived my life about having these, these useful skills. And I think about that today. I'm like, if I'm not doing AWS things, if I can no longer do the cloud, I can just repair cars. <laughs> so just having a bunch of skills, I think is that the biggest thing in life and being okay with it. And now you have the time to really get back into the car hobby. And do you have your own garage at home? Like, you must have your own lift in the at home, right? You got your own. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a car paint person, booth. but I want a lift. <laughs> yep, lift, paint booth. I got so I got a nice toolbox. I can weld. Uh, I can do all that stuff. So <laughs> that's amazing, dude. That's that's absolutely cool. All right. We're almost out of time, but I, I do want you to share your your handle on Twitter is I need help, Brian, which I love that handle, dude. I need help, <laughs> Brian. I, I, I need you to spend a couple of minutes talking about because that's a very humbling sort of handle, isn't it? Like it's humbling. So I ended up getting that email address at Google uh, while I was working at this academy. And I told the guys that work with me, hey, I'm going on a cruise. It's my first vacation. If you need help, just email me here. I need help, Brian. And I'm keeping that, that name. So then I ended up keeping that name as um, my Gmail. And then later on, I got to talking to one of the guys that hired me at Amazon. And he was like, you know, they did an interview. He was like, his, his email address is, I need help, Brian. We definitely need to hire this guy. <laughs> so it was kind of one of the reasons that stuck out in their head to hire me is because they was like, yeah, if he's got an email address that says, I need help, Brian. We definitely need to hire this guy. <laughs> I see. I, I read it the other way around. Now I'm now I'm seeing it the other way too, right? I need help, Brian, and and you'll be there to help somebody too. Oh, that's dude. That's brilliant, dude. This this podcast has been prolific. This is absolutely amazing, dude. Oh my god. Oh my god. So things we're gonna need from Brian before we we uh, share this. I need a a picture of you in your um in your like punk grunge now your grunge phase right of hackers uh i need a couple pic i need a picture of that bike that um got you out of university right we just we have to slice this into the youtube really because there's just too much there's too much good goodness there to not hire so eric's gonna write some notes to ask you for some of that <laughs> that is brilliant all right we are we're out of time right this was so much 
this was so much fun. I want to, I want to like go to Georgia and, and, and have a meal and sip, sip some whiskey and keep talking. Like this is, this was so much fun, dude. I've been waiting to meet you for a long time. You actually came to Georgia, I think for a women's day or women's week to show them go. And I was just begging them. I was like, can I please get into this? They're like, Hey, but you're not a woman. <laughs> I was like, please. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm gonna make it a point to get to uh, Atlanta, man. We're gonna we're gonna have a meal and have a drink and 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 keep talking because this this is too awesome. It's a great story. Awesome. All right, man. So uh, I kind of already shared with everybody. If you want to reach out to Brian, I guess it's at I need help Brian on Twitter and your Gmail. So I'm guessing that's the best way for people to reach out to you after they've listened to yeah, the show. LinkedIn too. You can reach me there. I'm I'm always around, uh, or see me talking on stage somewhere. At AWS, you know. Yeah, you have any any talks <laughs> coming up this year? Are there any? T I I do. I have some summits coming up, so I'll be at um, some the Atlanta AWS summit. Um, there may be some other things, and I also host a show now called AWS On Air. So I'm a co-host. So we'll be we'll have our next episode this Friday. So I'll be on that show. Ah, nice. We're going to make sure all that gets into the show notes. That's, that's, that's brilliant. All right, Brian, thank you again for, for hanging out with us for, uh, for this, this show. It was absolutely amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, this is Bill Kennedy and Brian Terry signing off and hope to see everybody again real soon at the next Arden Labs podcast.